The word comes to us today from the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, beginning with verse 15. In those days, Peter stood among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Akeldama, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, uh, a number of years ago when I was a kid uh, in grade school, uh, our family lived across the, the bay in, in Portland, and we were uh, just uh, uh, from Portland to Taft away from my mother's uh, parents, Mama and Papa, and, and so it was a regular thing for us to, to go to my grandparents, and on occasion, uh, Papa would pile us in the back of a pickup, and we would head down the road for about 10 miles to the place that we called the farm. And when we were at the farm, I remember we would uh, chase the piglets, and, and we never caught them. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, uh, there was a big old uh, uh, turkey, and he would chase us, and he never caught us. Uh, but, but on one occasion, we were uh, kind of looking around, and there was a hen sitting on a nest, and, uh, and of course, she had eggs underneath it. So we decided to take one of those eggs, so we snatched it out of the, out of the nest, and, and we carried it home. And when we got home, uh, put it in a, in a towel, uh, wrapped it in a towel, put the towel on top of the water heater in, uh, in uh, the garage, and and so, again, I was a kid in grade school, and a kid in grade school can't wait every morning to check the one thing that seemed like it was kind of a mystery, and it's, you know, kind of fantastic. So every, every morning, uh, I and my brothers and sisters, we would head out to the garage, and we'd lift up the towel, and, and the egg would still be there, and it's like nothing happened. Uh, next morning, lift it up, <sighs> nothing. 
And, uh, and this went on for several days, and uh, my guess is it didn't last two weeks uh, before, after going, ah, nothing, ah, nothing, ah, nothing. One day I said, I'm tired of waiting. Let's crack that sucker open and find out what's inside. And, and sure enough, we cracked it open, and if we had left it alone, it would have developed into a full chick, and it would have hatched. But in my impatience, I couldn't wait to find out what was going on. And, and, and I think of that in relation to the church is that, that a, uh, a lot of times we're thinking nothing is happening. Everything's so quiet. And yet God is at work. He's moving forward in, in life. And, uh, and, and it's just a matter of being patient. So today the, the message is titled uh, Lessons While Waiting. And, and Bill read uh, uh, Acts chapter 1, 15 through 26, but we're going to look at the whole of that chapter. And, and to get us oriented right from the beginning, uh, Luke is the author of two volumes that are found in the library we call uh, the, the Bible. And, and one of those volumes is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ according to Luke. And, uh, and then the second is uh, what we call Acts. And uh, Luke was a first century follower of Jesus. He was very active in the missionary movement. In fact, if you read Acts, there's a, a point where uh, uh, Luke is naming who's doing something, and he'll say they or he or something like that. And then uh, by the end of a particular chapter, it, it moves from they, he, to we. And you know now that he is a part of the story. But prior to that, uh, that moment in, in the gospel uh, and in uh, Acts, he is recounting the stories that he has, he has gathered, he's collected from the believers in the first century who spent time with Jesus. And so when we come to this passage, uh, this is what he writes. Uh, after his suffering... Jesus presented himself to, to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift, of my, uh, the gift my father promised. Now, I want to just break that down real quickly, uh, the three things that we, we get from this particular passage. And number one, Jesus remained 40 days with his disciples. And, and for most of us, when we think about uh, uh, the holidays, uh, you know, uh, the Christian holidays, there, there are two. Uh, the, the first one is what? Christmas. We all, you know, and then the second one is? Easter. And when we think of those, we think of them as this is a day, and, uh, and it happened, and then we move on to whatever the next day is. And, and yet this is saying that Easter, or resurrection, uh, didn't just happen one day, and at the end of the day it was the end of the story. What this tells us, Luke tells us, is that Jesus continued to appear to his disciples over a period of 40 days. In fact, there's one place where Paul is describing all those who have seen Jesus, and he says, at one time, there were 500 believers who saw Jesus. He appeared uh, to them. Now, 
I have no idea when that is because we don't have a record outside of what what, uh, Paul has said. But what we do have is a clear record uh, in the Gospels uh, that Jesus appeared to women, uh, that Jesus appeared to two friends as they were traveling, uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples in an upper room, uh, that Jesus appeared again in that same room, that Jesus appeared uh, beside the lake. And then uh, Luke gives us a couple of more appearances in this passage. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it was all to, to, to uh, uh, as it says, uh, that uh, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And, and the clearest uh, account is when uh, Thomas is not with the disciples, Jesus appears to them and then he, he, he leaves. Uh, Thomas joins them and they tell him, hey, the Lord's alive. And he goes, you know, I'm not sure if I believe you or not. The moment I put my finger in his wounds and my uh, hand in his side, that's the moment I'll believe. And so about a week later, they're all gathered together. This time, uh, Thomas is with them, and Jesus appears. And Jesus says to, to Thomas, put your fingers in my wounds, put your hand in my side. And, uh, and, and Scripture is very clear that what we're talking about is there was this man who was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead, and he physically appeared to his disciples. Not a few times, but he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. They could see, the, see him with their eyes. They could hear him with his, their ears. They could touch them, him with their hands. He ate with them. He drank with them. And he spoke with them. And so we come to the second thing that, we, uh, that is revealed in these two verses. Uh, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. And so it wasn't just general conversation. Jesus began to speak to them about the very thing he taught them to pray, which was, your kingdom come, your will be done. And and over a period of 40 days, he kept telling them, this is the character of God. These are the characteristics of the kingdom. You will recognize the kingdom advancing in in, uh, this world when you see these things happening. And, and then the, the final thing is Jesus instructed his disciples simply to wait for the gift. And so he, uh, he uh, told them, stay in Jerusalem, stay put, and wait for the gift uh, my Father promised. And, uh, and so then we continue reading in the first chapter, and, and there's this one final appearance that Jesus makes to it with his disciples. In that moment, he tells them, basically, again, wait for the gift. Uh, wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, then, then now take the gospel uh, to, in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And, uh, and at that point, then we read this, this verse in verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And so they're talking with Jesus. He gives them that, the final instructions. And then as they're watching, Jesus begins to levitate, 
and then he begins to elevate, and then he begins to ascend, and they're watching him the whole way, and finally at, the, at, at some moment, he, he is as high as the clouds, he enters the clouds, and that's the last they see of him. And, uh, and, and uh, in the liturgical uh, calendar, you know, not everyone uh, uh, follows the liturgical calendar, but uh, United Methodists, we generally do, and and one of the things about uh, that the day of ascension, that just happened uh, on, on the calendar on Thursday. Uh, and, uh, and then what it comes next at, in the liturgical calendar is Pentecost. And that's going to happen 10 days uh, after the ascension. The, the Pentecost, our Pentecost happens. Jesus has spent 40 days with them. And on the 50th day, then the Holy Spirit comes. So uh, what we're talking about here is there is the presence of Jesus, and then he's gone. And now they're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus departs, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, arrives, and there's this in-between time, this waiting time between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Ten days, not long. Uh, even my grade school Tom could wait 10 days. And that's all they had to do is wait 10 days. But I want to also focus on the simple fact that God gave that promise hundreds of years. And so every year that passed, when that, that promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit passed, you know, it was still... The world was waiting for God to keep his promise. Now, again, the disciples, they only waited 10 days after Jesus departed. But the world itself was waiting. And we are in a waiting period now because there was this promise made on that day. Uh, An angel said, as you've seen him go, you will see him come back. Talking about Jesus. And we're in that waiting uh, time. Now, as I was thinking about this, uh, I, I recognize we at Asbury are waiting. You know, on a practical side, I'm waiting for retirement. Uh, it's, it's hitting me pretty hard right now that four weeks from now, I will preach my last message as a pastor uh, of a church. My first message as the pastor of a church happened 37 years ago at First United Methodist Church in Carrizo Springs. And, uh, and on June 13th, I, I will uh, preach my last message as your pastor here at Asbury. And so this is a time when I'm waiting to retire. And somebody asked me last week, are you excited about retirement? And I'll tell you, maybe June 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th, you can't wipe the grin off my face. But I honestly... Uh, today, I have mixed emotions. That's, you know, 37 years of serving the Lord in a particular capacity, and, and in a month, uh, it will be done. And so there's mixed emotions in that. But the other side of that is, that's me, and I'm waiting for retirement, but we are in a uh, time of transition. The old is going, and the new is coming. Pastor Tom will uh, retire, and then uh, Pastor uh, Forrest will come. And, and so, you know, what do we do uh, while we're waiting 
for the old to go and the new to come. It's not just the church that's waiting. I know that there are those of us here who are waiting for test results. And there are students who are waiting to find out how well they did on their final exams. Or they're about to enter into that time of taking final exams. And so you're waiting for test results. When I say test results, there's some of you who are waiting for a different kind of test results. You're you're waiting to find out what the doctor is going to say after you visit him or after someone you care about has visited him. Some of us are waiting to hear from a friend or a family member. There's been this gap between the the last time uh, you spoke to them and the next time you're going to speak to them. And so you're waiting for that phone call. You're waiting for that letter. You're waiting for some kind of acknowledgement that something is going on in in uh, that other person's life. And so waiting is a part of who we are and what happens. And how do we handle that? What did they do in that first century after Jesus departed? And so we pick up the story again where it says, uh, uh, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. So, uh, they, uh, the last time they saw Jesus was in a familiar place, the Mount of Olives. That was a regular place that they, hi- that they hung out. That's where they had conversation, both before uh, the, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection and after the crucifixion and resurrection. They gathered on the Mount of Olives. Uh, but Jesus departed, and so they headed back into Jerusalem, and basically they hung out in, in, uh, in their hotel room because they were guests in Jerusalem. They weren't going home. They were just going to a room, and they were spending time together. Now they are in waiting mode. What in the world are they doing in that room? Well, Scripture tells us. Verse 14, they all... Joined together constantly in prayer. I believe it was in 2017. Uh, I know it was in June. And, uh, and we gathered in this place. And I preached on, uh, on, on prayer. And at the uh, end of my message, I invited you to pray at a particular time. And uh, and and uh, in uh, a particular way. Now, Joe, you and I were at the baseball park a little over a week ago, and we both reached into our pocket at the exact same time. For those who've been around, what time was uh, jo- were, was it when Joe and I reached into our po- pocket? 751. Some of you are saying, what? How do they know? What is this? Well, 751 in, in uh, June of uh, 2017, I invited people to pray at a particular time. And it has become Asbury's time of prayer, 751. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a group meeting at, uh, at uh, 751 in the evening, but it is so much fun 
when we're all sitting there and everybody's reaching in their pockets because their, their alarm is going off and reminding us to pray. And, uh, and so that's what they were doing. They were praying. And, and, and again, uh, what I asked you to, to pray for uh, that, that particular Sunday was to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, Jesus said, this is how you are to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so we, we are aligning ourselves, aligning ourselves with the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Now, the other th- really cool thing for me as a pastor was that what we did that particular day. We uh, went out that door and we went down the hall and we went out uh, that door, and we walked all the way around on the sidewalk, and then we came right back in through this door. What happened at that door was Ellen opened the the door, and she held it open, and we all uh, filed past her. By the time we got to here, uh, now I opened the door, and you filed past me. And, and I remember the looking at your faces as you went through, and it was just a moment where I go, God is here. Then we came into this, uh, into this sanctuary again, and we circled up, and we've done this so many times. It's been a part of uh, who we are. We, we took our hands uh, and we said the Lord's Prayer together. They all join together constantly in prayer. Now, one of the things I would say is a lot of times we're kind of like, uh, like uh, grade school Tom and the egg. We pray and we think nothing has happened and we get impatient and we should do something. And, and, uh, and uh, as I look at Scripture and reflect on those moments where someone either prayed not at all or very little, and just wanted to get into, you know, let's get some action, let's get something uh, going that without fail, it always had bad uh, results. And the repercussions of some of those decisions thousands of years ago are still being felt this very day. And so, so it is important for us to continue to pray. Eventually, though, that is going to lead to action. And in, the, in that gathering uh, uh, with uh, the disciples, there was this moment where they took action. They had been praying together, and now they were going to take action. And they needed to make a significant decision. Uh, uh, and that significant decision was simply, who is going to sit in the, in the seat of authority, apostolic authority? Who's going to take Judas's place? Because Judas had betrayed Jesus and then overcome by grief, he had taken his own life. And they recognized that, that, uh, that the need to replace him, uh, it's, they needed to make a decision. And as uh, they move into action, uh, based on t- a time of prayer, I want to look at the three elements in their decision-making that uh, apply to them then and to us today. And the first thing that, that I want to note that applies uh, applied to the, their situation is, is Scripture. They got into Scripture. 
And, uh, and, we, and we read that when it says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And then it goes on to say, uh, you know, he said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. Now I want to pause here for a, a, a moment. And, and I want you to think, uh, there's a book that's out. It was written uh, quite a while back called the, uh, the Bible Jesus Read. The Bible Jesus Read. It's by Philip Yancey. Uh, and, and think about that. We have what we call the Old Testament, but I'm going to refer to it as the Hebrew Scriptures, and, and the, the New Testament, which I, I refer to as the Christian Scriptures. Hebrew Scriptures, Christian Scriptures. Uh, and, and together, let's say, that's the whole Bible. What Bible did Jesus read? Did he read the whole Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, or the Christian Scriptures? The Hebrew Scriptures. So, so when, when, uh, when Peter stands up and he says, uh, the Scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke a long ago, what he's talking about is in the Hebrew Scriptures, that part of the Bible we call the Old Testament. And, and so they didn't dismiss or discount Scripture. They uh, looked in and gazed at the Scripture, and they said, this is what the Scriptures say. And uh, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. So, say, they were compelled to move forward uh, based on uh, their understanding of Scripture. But they didn't just stop with Scripture. They also moved into the area of experience, what they had experienced. Whatever choices they were going to make, it would be based on the guidelines that, uh, that also uh, uh, was uh, uh, Scripture coupled with experience. And uh, this is what, um, what Peter says. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. All right, so... Uh, what, what Peter was saying is the person who is going to stay, step into this position of leadership and influence, number one, has to know Jesus. And uh, has to know Jesus not just uh, uh, from last week, uh, not just that moment he ascended into he heaven. That, that person needs to have, have uh, experienced Jesus over the years that we experienced Jesus. And so, so uh, even today, uh, we're not going to, you know, we haven't physically been with Jesus from the moment he was baptized to the moment he ascended, but Jesus is still alive and present at work in our lives today. And it's important that if you are going to be a person of influence, if you are going to be a person uh, who is going to be a part of leadership, then you need to experience a relationship with Jesus, a broad, a full, viable relationship with Jesus. 
But the second part of that is that uh, it says, and he must be a witness to, to the resurrection. And, and so there's this, this recognition as not only have we been with Jesus, but we believe in the resurrection power, the transforming power of God in Jesus Christ to make that which is dead alive. Now, I want to just... Uh, kind of say there are certain guidelines that we at Asbury uh, out of our experience have chosen to, as if you're going to be a part of the leadership if we're going to start a, a program or or engage in certain activities at this church they should line up with certain uh, uh, principles based on our experience and uh, and one of those things is something that started uh, with the second pastor, uh, Bishop Mike Lowry, but continues to this day. And the moment I came uh, on as uh, the lead pastor here, I embraced it. And it's our about, what we are about. And so together, we are about what? Loving people, transforming lives, making disciples. So when we uh, are engaged in, in, uh, in financial and, and resource uh, conversation and kind of looking ahead to what's coming, coming next, we ask these kind of questions. Is this loving people? Is this, uh, are we seeing lives transformed? Is, uh, is, uh, 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 are people coming to, to know Jesus, love Jesus and serve Jesus. And, and so those are guiding principles. They're a part of our experience at, at Asbury. But something happened two years after we started praying, your kingdom come, your will be done at 751. Then we developed what we called Vision 751. And that was when leadership gathered uh, on a, a Saturday morning and uh, continued to have a conversation uh, through uh, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and what we were looking at at that time was where, where had we been, where are we now, and where do we believe God is taking us in the future. And so that was, again, uh, making a decision and kind of shaping the future of Asbury based on our experience as a congregation and our past our present, looking into our future. So uh, those, are, are, you know, those are things that as we are waiting and praying, we allow Scripture to be at work in our lives. We allow uh, and, and reflect on our experiences. But there's a third thing, and, uh, and as I say this, I'm going to say, you're, there are some of you right that are going to say, that's not in the Bible. Or you're going to want to change the wording. But I am intentional about uh, 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 the third th uh, element that was in that room as they were waiting and making decisions. And here it is. Luck. Luck. And, uh, and you're going, what do you mean, luck? Well, <laughs> what do you call this? In verse 26... They've got two people. Which one should we do? Then they cast lots. Then they cast lots. Another way to say that is they flipped a coin. Ellen and I were talking just this past week, and she says, do you want this for supper 
or that for supper? And I said, let me get out the coin of decision. And I flipped it, and, and that won, and that was what we had that night. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's, you know, in this particular case, they've done their due diligence. They've allowed Scripture and experience to inform their decision, but in the end, they had two really good choices, and, and they decided, well, we need to cast lots or flip a coin. Now, I want to emphasize this because um, uh, so often we discount the simple truth of I happen to be in the right place at the right time. And because I was at the right place and the right time, something amazing happened. I've um, read a couple of months ago uh, a book called How the Mighty Fall by Jim Collins. And and the interesting thing about that is that Jim Collins wrote uh, from uh, good to great and and many people who have been in a position of leadership have read that book and it's about the principles that uh, kind of guided companies who uh, who were kind of were the the shining example of this is the way to do business or this is the way uh, to run a company this is the way to lead and uh, and and uh, and then later Collins was looking at some of those shining examples that he had used from good to great. They were, they were the great at the time, but now they were in bankruptcy. And, and the question that naturally came from that is, well, how, how did the mighty fall? And he began to, to notice a, a certain things about that. And in the, in the, in the first uh, cha- chapter, as it reveals one of the major uh, issues that that arises. One of them is 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 what he calls arrogant neglect. In other words, I discount luck entirely. I am where I am because I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I am too smart to fail, and you should listen to me. And this this arrogance begins to to go through the culture of the company and, and, and they uh, do things simply because, like, a, like many parents, because I said so. And this arrogance creeps in. And he's say, saying they discount the significance of luck. That they, not only were they, did they do their due diligence and their preparation, but they also happen to do it at just the right time in just the right place. And so in his book, he writes about this. He says, discounting the role of luck instead of acknowledging that luck and fortuitous events might have played a helpful role, people begin to presume that success is due entirely to the superior qualities of the enterprise and its leadership. Uh, throughout Scripture, there's just these moments that you cannot explain why uh, things happen the way they happen outside of simply God in His grace and mercy chose one over another. And it wasn't because they were superior. It's just He chose to do that. And, uh, 
and, and, I, and I say this because there, we need to recognize that as, as we move forward, is not because of how wonderfully smart and, and diligent we are. It is because of the goodness and grace of God who makes some to rise and some to fall, but he pours out his grace on all. I, I, I want to say, I'm going to give you three uh, don'ts. Don't discount Scripture. The whole of Scripture. Don't discount it. Don't discount your own experience. Don't discount the place of luck. And one do. Constantly be in prayer. To live, to love, to laugh. It is all Jesus Christ. Amen.